We've got a tied World Series, but is it a good World Series? Yeah, think- well, so far. Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark, and this is Gordon, and we love talking about baseball. So it's tied 1-1 after the first two games of the World Series. The D-backs got their split when they went to Texas. And I have to say, the Diamondbacks team really impressed me coming out winning that game, too, after that heartbreaking game way they lost game one. You were saying that. I think uh, the the sum total of getting beaten that way uh, in game one, you thought would have a carryover effect. Well, they got beaten. The the D-backs in game one essentially played their game. They got timely hits. They ran the bases well. They got to the end part of the game with they their, had bullpen. their closer. And they had their bullpen lined up and they had Paul Seawald in the game who up until this point in the post series, I think was six for six. He'd right. given up like three hits. But then I, when I saw that six for six, I thought, you know, it's Paul Seawald. I mean, you know, this is, this is not Mariana Rivera here. <laughs> right. And I, I mean, I think it's always kind of cheap when a guy is six for six. It's really easy to say, well, he's due to mess it up eventually. Cause like, Yes, by the law of averages and just the thinking of, yes, every pitcher is mortal. He will eventually have a bad game. Don't you think every Diamondback fan was thinking, okay, don't let this be the one, right? Don't let Well, you know be what? Better one. this be the one than one later on in the series. You know, now he's had his one. Now he needs to bounce back and be good. And they went out and they didn't do it in the D-back way in game two. They just beat the Texas Rangers at their own game and won 9-1. So historically, having a closer come in and, and have a lead in the ninth inning and blow it, I think has happened in game one of the World Series, has happened three times. It happened first when Dennis Eckersley threw the, the, the pitch to Kirk Gibson in the 1988 World Series. Um, it happened to Armando Benitez. In the 2000 World Series against the Yankees. It happened. And I know the other one, unfortunately. Also against the Mets with Juris Familia and Alex Gordon. So, you know, when you think about those those guys, uh, you know, g- giving it up at the, at the worst possible time, you know, there's, there's, there's a Met history there. And Paul Seawall and, and those teams, you know, interestingly enough, didn't. Win the World Series. Series. Right. And Mm. I I think as a Met fan, Benitez blowing it wasn't too surprising at the time because he was always turbulent as a closer. Familia that season had been pretty invincible. So when he blew it in that game, that was a real gut punch. And Seawald had so far been invincible for the D-backs, but they responded really well in game two. And they beat Jordan Montgomery, who looked tired. Yes, after, I, I mentioned that a few times during the game. After we his game seven together. pitching. And, and it looked like he was laboring the whole time. And, and the Diamondbacks sort of played into that by not, I don't think they were trying to uh, suck for Moreno, uh, his, his, his home run, but they were just sort of knocking the ball around a lot, doing Diamondbacks mm-hmm. baseball things. You right. Know? And they run the bases really well as a team. And that's something that I've noticed just in general is that's a very fast team. And the fact that they can steal a lot of bases, I think they've stolen 13 or some 13 plus bases in their last four games. That, that puts a lot of pressure on a defense when you're stealing three, four bases a game when suddenly any walk or any single can turn into a guy on second base and is now in scoring position. And I think that's something we'll talk about that a little bit more as it relates to some of the other things going on in Major League Baseball. But I guess I also have to come clean again because every time Merrill Kelly goes out to pitch, I'm thinking he's going to. Yeah, you, 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 got to, you owe him an apology letter do, after this man. postseason. This guy, and of course, now we're hearing all the, back, the backstories on Merrill Kelly about his four years pitch in the KBO and how he just was trying so hard to get back to the major leagues. And so 
this is starting to have this sort of you know sepia tone to it. You know, well, I mean, the guy's <laughs> been unbelievable in the postseason so far. That was one of the most dominant like World Series outings. People like that. nine strikeouts for right. Merrill Kelly, like 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 an all time World Series outing for him. So that you know, so very big for the D backs, and now. It kind of comes down to the question that we had before the series. Can Brandon Fat shut down the Ranger lineup? Because the D-backs need to start out of one of these other guys in game three or four to have a chance in this series. I guess if you looked at it from this is a five-game series now. Yeah. Okay. And so now if you've got you've got Brandon Fat, you've got Zach Gallen, and you probably got Merrill Kelly. I, I don't know if you're gonna have anybody else pitch start for the Diamondbacks. They just burned Jordan Montgomery. You still got um some bullets in the gun, but the, the Rangers are a little bit in a in a right. in you've a got Max Scherzer pitching. and I have I mean I don't think the Diamondbacks have any more idea who's going in game four right right i don't think that either team knows who's going to be pitching game four exactly that and might be a bullpen game so game three is going to be very important because if max or if brendan fat can give a big start big swing game right, right. like if, if one of those guys could go five six innings right or got you know somehow one of them goes seven that would be enormous for each of those teams to spare their bullpen by the way and, and adding to my game one blowing it so of course seawall blew the save but former Met Miguel Castro gave up the game-winning home right. run to Garcia. So, and, and he throws and, and Miguel Castro's best pitch is a slider. Unfortunately, Adolis Garcia hits sliders really well. Joe Davis actually did it a couple of times, right? Because he kind of half called the mm-hmm. Corey Seager home run, you know, in Game One, and then he kind of called, you know, the one for he's, Garcia. He's as well. very prescient with that. Like, yeah. He's done that a, a lot throughout. He's done his a career. good job. I really yeah. like Joe Davis. Yeah. I think you know, and and you know, some people like to get on John Smoltz and all that. He gets a little bit too deep in the weeds. Sometimes, but um, I kind of like him. He's okay. He's he's been fine this postseason. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. I think he's got the the right amount. So um, I guess we'll 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 see if the bullpens can hold up because I think that's going to play a greater role than it has so far. In that Merrill Kelly gave you seven innings, right? You know, you you kind of managed to get Montgomery by the went pretty deep into that game for the he didn't have very right. Much. He just was able to get guys out without you know having to throw a ton of pitches so he at least eight innings for the, the the rangers even though they did end up losing that game so there were some other things that happened in baseball last week mm-hmm. um and and i don't know if you were surprised i would say that i didn't know enough to not be surprised when bob melvin um all of a sudden walked away from the padres after aj preller said he was coming back maybe that's the kiss of death when that happens uh and all of a sudden finds himself managing the san francisco giants right very weird that's a very i i think i mean i i'm certainly surprised because it happened all so quickly it's just like all of a sudden bob melvin is the managing the giants just like that well and the giants uh they extended farhan zaidi so mm-hmm. i i assume that gave him the carte blanche to make this move and and i if i were the padres nothing against bob melvin by the way but apparently it wasn't very good in san diego this year with him and the and the team itself you can't fire the whole team. So making a change at manager, even though I think AJ Preller's had like seven managers in nine years or something. Right. Like that, there's you know, there's something there. There's there there, you know, when a guy has that many managers. Well, at a certain point, also considering it's largely been the same group of guys now there that have been there for four seasons at least. You this know, this is the last year of this, right? But are the inmates starting to run the asylum there a little bit, you know, or because if, if they, the, if there keeps being a problem with the manager, 
At a certain point, you can't keep saying it's the manager. So they don't have a manager, obviously, at this point, um, and nor do the Angels, who are talking about um, a guy who used to manage here in New York. Right, who in the Mets also do not have a manager. Right, right. And so Craig Council was given permission not just to talk to the Mets. I think he's talking to um, whoever he wants. Yeah, Cleveland. I think it was Cleveland. that Cleveland was, uh, needs a manager. Who else needs a manager? Um, obviously, we said the Padres need a manager. And I, I was surprised because I thought for sure at the end of the season, Ali Marmol uh, of the Cardinals. And that doesn't mean that they might not still. Pedro Grafal of the White Sox. I'm surprised that this, this guy is still, still in there. New York. Yeah, they, they, they put him in the I, I, for one, don't think Boone is the guy you should get rid of, but he is named in those, uh, yeah. those three guys are, are right at the top of the list. Uh, I think it would be the three most likely guys to also get fired. And so now that the Red Sox, uh, who have a manager, they just hired Craig Breslow as the uh, president of baseball operations. I, I can't imagine he gets rid of Cora. I don't think so because he's a smart guy. So, you know, Breslow. Well, the Astros need a manager. That is true. That just happened this week as well. Dusty retired. We should talk about that a little bit. Let me finish on Breslow. I, I was reading his background. So he went to Yale. I guess because um, we're Northeast to be based. I've seen this guy. and I know he pitched for the Red Sox. Uh, mm-hmm. A big left-handed pitcher, uh, and he studied uh, molecular physics and biochemistry. And I thought to myself, well, it's a good thing it's not rocket science because that would be a bad thing if a baseball player actually studied rocket science and, and then all of a sudden became a general manager because he would never live live that down. Going, oh, that's not rocket science. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's still it's a lot more imprecise than rocket science. That's only that's the hardest part. You, you you're kind of just at the end of the day, you're just picking the guys and hoping they work out. And um. Uh, the Craig Council obviously looking around, you know, at, at jobs, and, and I'm surprised that he is actually considering leaving Milwaukee because to me he's so Mr. Brewer, and I know the Mets, and, and somebody's wrote that he's like best friends with David Stearns. I, I don't know if that's the the new Popo of the Mets, right? Uh, I, I just don't know if would you really want to leave Milwaukee? You got kids there, you've been there your whole career, you got a family. Only if Steve Cohen, I guess, opens up the checkbook in a way that nobody else. He would have to be the highest paid manager. In baseball i think for him to want to move in my, right, in my right. estimation or he's been a manager in milwaukee that's been frustrated by not having enough money to spend on the team right and right. he and he's only gonna have that now right, exactly he's like come to new york come win him come win a title in new york be a god and you'll have all the money in the world to get what we want yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm hoping for that. I, I, I like the guy. I think I, I have no reason to think he wouldn't do a good job in New York. Uh, New York is a different place to manage than Milwaukee. Let's right. just leave it at that. True. Um, so I, I just just don't know about everybody's so sure he's going to leave and, and how much is it going to really cost Milwaukee more to keep counsel? Would you really let him go over a million bucks a year or something like that? Well, if he wants to go, what are they going to really be able well, to? I, I think, I, I think he might want to be paid commensurately with how, you know, the best managers in baseball. Right. And, and so that's where they are in that margin right now. True. But, but if he wants to leave and go manage in New York, there's very little Milwaukee can do to get him to stop. Of course, no, he's, he's, and that's why he's looking around, not just at the Mets. Right, he's, he's, he's trying to get paid, too. And so do you think the, the guys that are, are people that are hiring teams, uh, hiring managers and stuff like that are looking at the playoffs and thinking, okay, the game is changing, and do we need to have a manager who can be in step with the changes that have come as a result of the new rules, like stealing more bases? and, and I, I certainly think that what you're seeing is that the managers that have – but their managers are going younger. 
we're seeing the the older managers getting phased out because I think that managing the players is becoming more and more important, and these older managers agreed. It's harder to relate. Aren't relating as well. So, and that um, might be like a guy like Buck, Show- Buck Shoulder can last a couple of years, but after a while, it gets tired. The generation, you know, difference. Yeah, and, and, and especially than- as a Met team got considerably younger over the course of the year. They went from being a veteran team when he was first hired to Good being point. a much younger team. Suddenly, Buck is not the right guy to manage a real young team like that. Right, and playing young players was something that Buck seemed to adapt to as he came to the Mets. Right, but, but know, he was still not. Wasn't his reputation but th- that was something Dusty Baker and Houston struggled with. Yep. And so um, we yep. talked about that last week, and you know, because him going up, you know, behind Aaron. And I don't know. But I'm watching obviously the World Series and the playoffs in general, and with the amount of running they are doing at this point, how much of that is called or just like you got a green light. If you think you can make it, you go. Is that managing? That's just giving. Well, the no, guy- Tori Lavulo said specifically in, after the first few games in the NLCS, he started calling a seal more because that's you know what their team identity was. So that's either so they didn't have. Uh, I didn't have a green light to go. Right, right. And they either turned it on or they just started calling steel. My guess is that it's less that they're calling a steal on a specific pitch and more guys. Certain guys are being able to like they give them the signs and somewhere in those signs is the green light. And then that guy knows, OK, from this pitch on, I have the green light to look. And it's not like the catchers in the World Series in particular, Moreno and, and Jonah Heim, don't have excellent arms and can really throw. It, I guess it's just such an advantage. It's well, really hard to stop these guys. I think I was saying previously that like high or, or at another point, like Heim is a very good defensive catcher, but he's actually not got the fastest pop time. He's actually got a bottom half pop time in the MLB. So it's important for the Texas pitchers to be fast to home because if they're not, they're going to get, st- they're going to get run on. And we saw that last night where uh, Pedromo totally stole a base on Montgomery. The fact that they're able to steal bases on the left-handed pitches for the Rangers. And now you're going toward to Arizona where it's going to be loud. You might be struggling with pitch calm. That could be a real problem for the, for the Rangers if they're not able to keep the Diamondbacks off the base paths. And we know from experience, even watching a guy like Max Scherzer, he's not particularly fast to home plate. He no. He can slide step. He can do all the things a pitcher needs but to he's do. But be- he's not the best about keeping runners. So that in and of itself, you know, is challenging. And I think it's going to make, you know, teams look at that aspect of the pitcher's performance and is going to become more important as time goes on in terms of doing it. So um, we're... I, I, I put a little something in here when I just saw the umpires, and I know we don't want to talk too much about umpires, but they named all six umpires before game one of the World Series. Okay, and I'm looking at this guy, number one, I don't really recognize any of them at all. I think I recognize one name, I can't remember what it is. And I thought, well, that's a good thing, right? I don't really want to recognize the umpires. Right. I, 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 I hope that I don't notice them, actually. Right, and so far... I haven't noticed anything specifically about the umpires. Be- They're all equally about as bad at missing calls too often for my taste. Right. Uh, on balls and strikes. Mm-hmm. Balls, balls and strikes. And, strikes and that's just looking. Yeah, I think Quinn Wolcott was the yep, umpire yep, last yep, night. Yep, he yep, had a pretty good rating. He's, it was like, I think it was the one of the top five umpires in the league this year, but his strike zone seemed big last night. There were a lot of balls that were called outside the box on TV. Now, I think we've talked about it before that the boxes on TV are not a hundred percent representative of what the actual strike zone is really bad for a fan because it seems so clear to the fan when you look at it's either in on the corner, on the edge of the box or out of the box. So I think 
getting a better box for both for TV is probably what the, I wonder if that's almost the holdup for automatic balls and strikes is trying to get the product to look right for TV so that the fans aren't constantly confused about why sometimes balls below or outside the zone are strikes and when they're not strikes. And MLB has no immediate plan to put an ABS no. uh, at this point, and, and Manfred has gone on record as saying that. Um, I, but I, it's coming. I, I do think there's because there's still. I think they're doing it in the KBO it. next year. Is that? So I think I did see that also. Right, that was a big announcement that they're moving to that next year, and so I'm sure Major League Baseball will be paying very close attention to how that goes. It's just it's it's better. Right. It's 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 more reliable. I don't want to have to say, oh, well, he got away with a call that was like, like we all agree on what it's going to be. And you live by that. It, it, we're all playing by the same rules at that point. And, and again, fortunately, nothing has happened in the World Series like, oh, he got a job on a call. And that probably is not an outcome here. But I definitely I mean, we've even seen it within these games that like there was, I think, one someone part of game one where a guy didn't get a call on one pitch and he definitely gave him a makeup call later in the at bat. And that's like that's a problem where like, oh, he didn't call a borderline pitch one way. So then he called a borderline pitch the other way later on. And it's just like, is that? Yes, theoretically, they've evened it out, but it's not even. <laughs> and and one pitch that was off the plate that got hit for a home run by Mitch Garver. And I thought it was no, it was Jonah. Uh, it was Mitch Garver it was Mitch Garver yesterday. It was on the inside half of the plate. And, and so I, you know how much I hate these in-game interviews, but Ken Ronsenthal, there he is in the dugout talking to him. And he said, you know, what were you looking for? And I, you actually got an honest response from Mitch Garver that I thought, wow, okay, so that's one. Yeah, you know, one out of like, like I was just looking for a pitch to hit. Yeah, that was not where I expected to be. I didn't expect to hit it out. I was just trying to hit it hard, and right. you know, I, 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 you know, okay, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. These guys are good, you know. So I, I, I appreciated him, him saying, no, I wasn't trying to do that to that pitch, and it just kind of right. And I, and I think that that's probably more indicative of how most guys do hit home runs is that it's they're not really intentionally trying to hit a home run. They're just trying to make unless your name is Adolis Garcia, right? You're just trying to make good <laughs> solid contact, and if the and if you do get a hold of one, these guys are so big and strong that they hit it out of the park. And also when guys throw, you know, in the upper 90s and all that, you know, it, it, the trampoline effect. When the ball, comp- you know, you get the you get on the good part of the bat, the ball compresses and you can just drive it a whole long way. Um, I was going to mention something that I noticed this week, and you know how I'm a student of history. So we're 100 years, it's 2023, mm-hmm. from the Yankees' first World Series victory in 1923. That was, in fact, the first year of Yankee Stadium. Mm. Okay, so, and, and as I said before, and it's going to Babe Ruth uh, played for the Yankees in 1921 and 22, mm-hmm. um, and he played in the polo grounds, which the Yankees basically formulated Yankee Stadium to look like the polo grounds because Ruth was hitting lots of home runs at the polo grounds. So let's make so sure let's it kind of works the same for him. thing, which, uh, which is pretty cool. But then, and I thought, again, like, okay, so 27 World Series, we know they've got that in 100 years, and you throw out the strike year, so it's even a little better than that. that that's 27% of all the World Series played in the last 100 years run by the Yankees. It just it's it's weird to say that, you know. Right. Like, like that's just stunning. <laughs> now granted they did it at a time when there was a lot less teams in the league. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Expansion, you know, in 1961 definitely made it harder and then we certainly won't, won't see anything like that any kind of a run. But the Yankees had a run in the mid 90s. Right. You know that, you know, 4 and 5 years that like like just And thank God for and Yankee fans will say thank God for 2009. Yeah. Oh, Russell, they would be looking back pretty far. They would be. They, they, they would not. Not they, as far as the Mets. Not as far as the Mets. <laughs> not as far as the Mets. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know. And, it, and it's funny because my mind was going to. We, we watched Eight Man Out the other night. And the line that you pointed out that was really interesting is that um, 
they're getting talked to by the lawyers and the lawyers are all introducing themselves as the Tris speakers and stuff. And one of the guys goes, who's the Babe Ruth of lawyers? And it's like, Babe Ruth wouldn't have been a household name. Right. This was 19, you know, 1920 and Babe Ruth was, you know, playing for the you know Red Sox and he wasn't the home run hitter. He was well, a, a little bit. He was a home runner. But he was mostly a pitcher at that point. He had been mostly, but he had already started it right. at that point. But so. he wouldn't be referenced. He wasn't quite the venerated player yet at, in to 19, Certainly not to be referred to in the same category as Tris speaker. And uh, I, I thought it was interesting in that 23 World Series that uh, Casey Stengel, the mm-hmm. first manager of the Mets, hit two home runs for the New York Giants against the Yankees. So he manages the Yankees, he manages the Mets, and then he is a, he plays for the Giants. So Casey Stengel is part of New York baseball history. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he had any Dodger, you know, blood in there or anything like well, that. It's kind of tough to have Dodger blood in there because it means you go out to Los Angeles. No, no, it's Brooklyn. Well, Brooklyn. Oh, true, true, true. Oh, I just yeah, yeah. Brooklyn. So, uh, that would have been that would have been something. So, well, um, even, I guess the Giants and the the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers are right. Right. So you, he has some in there because he played for the Giants. Right. But just the only team he missed was the Dodgers. I'm saying he got the Mets, too. Right. You know, so oh, I see what you're saying. That's that's a lot of teams. Um, And and I was reading before this you know, and back to the World Series a second. So are you like worried that people said, well, this is like low winning percentage for these two teams? It's probably one of the worst World Series because you've got like a, what, a number six and a number five seed, if you will, you know, playing for the championship. Um, I think I think the only people are saying that are the same people that are upset that there are too many teams in the World Series in the playoffs. Yeah, like like because yeah. I, I think if as long as the quality of the games are good, I don't really care what teams are in the World Series. And 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 so that's what makes the you're right. The first game was like great because it seemed like it was going to be a boring game, five three lead. Then it was like, exciting. All of a sudden, it was incredible. And, and then the D backs came. And we had the first. We had the first extra inning game. I think of the playoffs this right. year. The first extra inning game since game game one of the World Series last year. And so what's interesting about that, I don't remember game one of the World Series because what I noticed and I didn't follow was there was no ghost runner, as they like to call it, on second base. Right. I had read so much about them saying he had made up the mind, Manfred and the, the guys haven't made up the mind whether I, they're going to play by different rules. I think this is, pitch this is the right it. way to do it. I agree. Right. You, ghost runners during the regular season because nobody wants to watch a 15-inning game during the regular season. No ghost runners in the playoffs because play extra inning playoff baseball is pretty unusual and having a longer extra inning game is fine because it's the playoffs it's the exact way hockey does it yeah yeah and and having a 15 inning world series game is just fine by me right no, nobody would want to watch it. Uh, nobody wants to watch a triple overtime game in the regular season. A shootout is fine, but nobody would want to watch a shootout in the playoffs. Nobody wants to watch a ghost runner in the playoffs. In 1987, the the Twins won the World Series against the Cardinals, and they were not seven game World Series. Great, great teams. But in 91, the Braves were sort of like a, a team that, that, you know, won 94 games and kind of slipped their way in the World Series, you know, as did the Twins. And they played an epic seven game series uh, highlighted by Jack Morris's one nothing. A win over John Smoltz in right. Game 7. So as long as we have some good games here where, where we go to the desert in Arizona, we'll be fine. We just don't want like a card, like that uh, Cardinals-Rangers World Series from a couple years back, like about a decade ago. Yeah, it's a decade That was a, a really ago. boring World Series. I don't remember much about that World right, Series. Like the Cardinals kind of spanked them. Like I, I remember the... 
Cardinals Tigers World Series was particularly bad too because the Tigers just played really poorly. But they had they one games. had one game in there that was it because wasn't there a thirteen twelve game in the in the Cardinal Ranger World Series or something crazy like right, that? Right. Yeah. So you know you get one game, but they, I, they need now. You've had one really close game, and obviously one not close game. Now you need one. to have a good game three. You, you need to have you know nice nice games the next few games mm-hmm. to really kind of make this a, a special World Series. So I think for us, um, and and we talked about we normally drop on Thursdays, and you're going to have games obviously on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, so we, I think we're going to hold off recording a World Series podcast and maybe we'll drop it towards the end of the week, maybe even after the World Series is over. Right, we'll probably wait until the World Series is over unless we're getting a Game 7 epic all-time World Series. Or it like rains for six days the way that it did well, in 19 Not going to be a problem. They're in a dome. Oh, that's right. So I think we'll probably be dropping towards Friday, Saturday next week, just hope, just so that we can recount all of the World Series games, just because that, that way we could talk about it in totality and we don't have to, you know, record with two games left. But, you know, if we're going to go to a game seven, we might talk about, you know, in a really exciting game seven. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where, you know, doing this week in baseball isn't going to be about baseball games. So we're going to we talk, we said we're going to introduce some deep dives. We're going to be doing some deep dives. We're going to be talking about you know, doing some team profiles, some more, you know, esoteric baseball topics that are a little bit more evergreen. Yeah, yeah. This week, um, there was a story on the um, uh, antitrust exemption for baseball being fought. And this Mm -hmm. happens periodically. I think they've had an antitrust exemption for over 100 years, since 1922. So uh, we're talking with uh, Kellyanne through about maybe having her come on and help us sort of sift through this. But you need to watch this because the Supreme Court could end up with this antitrust case for baseball. Right. And these are the kinds of things that crop up and then they become a big deal for the big business of baseball when they do come in but obviously you know thank you for listening if anybody has any ideas for episodes or just wants to reach out and talk we always love people reaching out to us. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Or, we'll be here for you during the off season. So give us stuff to talk about. Yeah, because, you know. Email. I guess it's X now, but email. Yeah. Just re- reach out to us. We love hearing from people and uh, hoping to a really exciting rest of the World Series. Yes. Let's go. I don't know. I just want to see a good World Series. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Follow us on Twitter at Almost Cooper.